Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Thursday, August 8th. I'm Wayne Pratt. Ahead, after Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson shot and killed Michael Brown Jr. in 2014, the local arts community responded. Some amped up the political messages in their work. It's like, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to filter. My wife is not going to filter. If it makes people uncomfortable, great. That's the whole purpose. We're not comfortable. St. Louis Public Radio's Jeremy Goodwin explores how artists and organizations grappled with Brown's death. First, the news. The annual State of the St. Louis Workforce Report is highlighting a tightening labor market. St. Louis Community College released that annual study yesterday. As St. Louis Public Radio's Corinne Ruff reports, one in three employers say they are having a tough time finding skilled workers, while certain groups are struggling to find jobs. Overall, unemployment figures in St. Louis are on par with the national average at 3.6 percent. But in some majority African-American neighborhoods, unemployment is as high as 36 percent. Hart Nelson, lead author of the new report, says young African-American men, people with disabilities, and those with felony convictions have been held back from the job market. But as employers struggle to fill technical jobs, he says there's been a mind shift to reconsider some of these job candidates. Four years ago, over a quarter of them said we wouldn't even consider someone with a felony conviction for any of our jobs. Contrast that with this year, and it was less than 1%. It was a huge shift. A new coalition that rolled out this week, STL Works, aims to spread awareness among job seekers about job training opportunities. I'm Corinne Ruff, St. Louis Public Radio. Missouri officials say 27 applications have been turned in for medical marijuana dispensaries, product manufacturing, and growing operations since the process opened Saturday. State Program Director Lyndall Fraker says officials are trying to deal with the lack of diversity in the burgeoning market, which has been an issue that has plagued other states. There's some scoring questions that give some bonus points based on diversity, three or four questions specifically, and I think uh, that's one way that we're addressing that. The application deadline in Missouri is August 17th. Roughly 600 applicants chose to pay fees in advance, so state officials are not expecting many more by that deadline. St. Louis County is said to become the largest police department in Missouri to equip all officers with body cameras. As St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman reports, all 700 patrol officers and 350 police cars will have cameras by early next year. Officers will have to turn on the cameras when they're doing things like traffic stops or serving a warrant. Chief John Belmar says the transparency and accountability the cameras will provide are important. One of the most important things is context. If somebody takes a 15-second video on a smartphone of an interaction between an officer and somebody else, there's no context provided before or after that. The county council approved $5 million for the cameras and unlimited storage space in early July. Funding for the five-year contract comes from a half-cent sales tax increase approved for public safety purposes in 2017. The department has also used some of that sales tax money to expand a system that detects when a gunshot has been fired. I'm Rachel Lippman. St. Louis Public Radio. And that move to equip all county officers with body cameras comes five years after the death of Michael Brown. We will bring you a special edition of The Gateway this afternoon as part of our coverage of the five-year anniversary of the events in Ferguson. 
St. Louis Public Radio's Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson will have an extended interview with Michael Brown Sr. That will be available today for your commute home. When Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson shot and killed Michael Brown Jr. in 2014, the act reverberated in the streets, the voting booth, and the local arts community. As St. Louis Public Radio's Jeremy Goodwin reports, many black artists responded by forming new alliances and gaining access to new platforms and exposed some enduring divides in the region around race. Five years ago, Kevin and Danielle McCoy were making art that wasn't particularly political. You know, we made a lot of safe work. Oh, this feels good. This is really cool design. Then came Brown's death, the protests that followed, and the protests after a grand jury decided not to indict Wilson for the shooting. The series of events sometimes described altogether as hashtag Ferguson. It inspired the McCoys to use a sharper political edge. One newer piece includes the text, There are no trophies for resistance, only open rebuke. It's like, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to filter. My wife is not going to filter. If it makes people uncomfortable, great. That's the whole purpose. We're not comfortable. Just weeks after Wilson killed Brown, artists banded together for hashtag chalked unarmed. They drew outlines of human bodies on city sidewalks, labeled with names of other unarmed black men who've been killed by police. Art collector Frida Wheaton, who founded the Regional Alliance of Black Art Galleries in 2013, quickly put out a call for new work responding to Brown's death. The resulting show spread across 18 partnering venues. Local musicians recorded and released new protest songs right away as well, like War Cry, this track by Tef Puff. Another group of artist activists formed the housing cooperative Art House in the Greater Ville neighborhood of North St. Louis. Members mix art making with social activism. Artist Dale Chambers bought a house across the street and relocated her Ye Yo Arts Collective to nearby. Her work was already political, but Hashtag Ferguson prompted her to rethink her approach. She closed her studio near Cherokee Street in South St. Louis to stay closer to the black communities she wanted to inspire to make art. And that's what I had to learn about how my practice was not accessible to everyone because the people that I was really talking to still had a journey to even get to the point of making art in the first place. No, maybe I need to come to the folks. Adrian Davis is an art collector and the incoming head of Washington University's new Center for the Study of Race, Ethnicity, and Equity. Beyond the thriving world of black-owned galleries and art collectives, she says Ferguson forced white collectors and institutions to pay more attention to black artists. Part of racism in the arts is that a lot of these artists and their work were invisible to the mainstream arts establishments. Um, and so I think hashtag Ferguson, it created some fractures and it opened up some space where people were actually able to really see and appreciate the import of this work that had been going on for a long time. But even in this climate, she says, many white art lovers only want to engage with black art on their side of a familiar divide. I, I know folks who won't go north of Del Mar to see art. Now, has hashtag Ferguson changed that? I don't know. I don't think so. The movement's presence in front of predominantly white audiences was not always by invitation. Immediately before the second half of a St. Louis Symphony Orchestra concert in October 2014, a multiracial group of protesters stood and sang a hymn-like refrain called Requiem for Mike Brown. They unfurled protest banners from the balcony and dropped paper hearts onto the audience. 
As long-standing institutions in St. Louis continued to grapple with Ferguson, there were successes and missteps. St. Louis Art Museum commissioned famed portraitist Kahinde Wiley for paintings of people he met on the street in Ferguson in North St. Louis. An exhibition at Contemporary Art Museum by a white artist based in New York featured photos of black subjects that many viewers found demeaning. Artist-activist Damon Davis, whose documentary about the Ferguson uprising was a hit at the Sundance Film Festival, led a boycott. About a month later, the chief curator announced he'd found a new job elsewhere. Poet Shiraz Gorman viewed the show as outsiders profiting from black trauma, and she wrote about it. All pats on back for engaging in a lesson taught one too many times for it not to be understood and heeded, all at the expense of the black psyche. But controversy. Controversy makes for good career moves. Perhaps the taste of black suffering is just too delectable to resist. In 2018, the museum showed a collection of work by African-American artist Sanford Biggers that addressed gun violence with African sculptures dipped in bronze. That show was much better received. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, St. Louis Public Radio. Our David Casares edited that piece. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. Remember to subscribe, rate, and to review this daily effort wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Wayne Pratt, and from the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.